Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I told you my brother uh, was supposed to be with us next week. Odds are he won't be. And so um, what I decided to do kind of late last night, I, I felt led to take the sermon that I was going to preach today, which was a pretty big chunk of scripture, and to kind of break it up and break it in half. Now, for those of you that are hopeful, that does not mean that this sermon will be half as long. <laughs> um, and next sermon, I think, is really, really important next week. We're going to look at a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to answer this question. When is it right to do what is wrong? When are there times when it's right to obey God, even though it may seem wrong in the eyes of man? And for many of us, whether it's the pressure we feel in a workplace or in a school or even, and we'll talk about this more next week, even, even in, the, in the, the possibility of persecution, when is it right for you to do what's wrong? That, that's where we'll be next week. This week, though, I just want to look at one verse. Let me give you the backstory, and, and this is what we've looked at the last couple of weeks. Peter and John, followers of Jesus they're leaders in the church at this, at this early time in Jerusalem. They go up to the temple to pray. It's what they did every day, 3 o'clock. And as they're walking, they get to this gate called Beautiful. And there's a guy that's sitting there. And he's been lame his whole life. He can't move. And so they um, are asked to give him something. And they say, you know the famous line, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And this dude jumps up, and he goes walking and jumping and praising God right into the temple courts. The people who have known him, he's 40 years old, people have seen him his whole life, they're like, this is crazy. And they follow them into the temple courts. They want to know, how did this happen? What's going on? And Peter begins to preach a sermon. And he talks to them about the power that's in the name of Jesus. And then the authorities show up. Religious authorities, legal authorities, the the law enforcement of the time, the political leaders, and they come and they say to him and John, Peter and John, you can't do this, so they throw them in jail. They're in jail overnight. The next day, they pull them in front of what would be the equivalent of of not even a grand jury, more like having to, to stand before Congress, the Senate, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the time. The high priests and, and the priestly individuals that are there, the, the scholars, the scribes, they're all there. They pull them in front of them and say, what are you doing? Who gave you this power? Who, who gave you authority? In whose name are you doing this? And you remember we looked at this last week where, where Peter and John say, look, we're doing this in the name of Jesus. And we talked last week how in the name of Jesus there's faith and there's healing and there's salvation And when you use someone's name, especially the name of Jesus, it implies that you are his agent, that you have his authority and power, that you do it in agreement with his will. And you remember that that Peter made this famous statement, bold statement. Remember, he's talking in front of the religious leaders. And he says, look, there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. Bold statement, right? This is what happens next. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. We're going to look at at three kind of parts of that verse today, and I want to give you kind of an umbrella statement that if this is all you remember today, then then, then that's that's all you maybe need to remember. You got to stay for the whole sermon, but this is all you need to remember. (laughs) 
ordinary people find extraordinary courage when they have been with Jesus. Ordinary people find extraordinary, or I like to say extraordinary courage when they have been with Jesus. Let's, let's look at three different aspects. The, the first thing that I want you to see there, first kind of word to hone in on in this passage of Scripture, number one, is ordinary. It says they were ordinary men. Think of who they were standing in front of. They were standing in front of the extraordinary people of their day. Some of them were extraordinary because of who they were, the family that they came from. They came from a priestly line. They were the religious leaders. Others of them were well-known because that they had studied and they were well-educated. They were the scholars. They were called the scribes. They were the ones who made the decisions for the, for the people of Israel, the Sanhedrin, these were their leaders. In fact, some people speculate that the Apostle Paul, this would have been before he came to Christ, he was known as Saul at that point, that he might actually have even been one of the people that was there in the Sanhedrin at that time. And so you have the, the elite standing in front of you, and here comes Peter and John, and I think it's interesting that it says this about them. It says that they were unschooled, that as they stood there in front of the most Learned people in their day, in their faith tradition, they were called unschooled. They weren't trained like the scribes. They didn't have the intellectual firepower to match up to who they were standing in front of. That can be a big deal. We're kind of in back to school time, and there's a story that's told of a teacher that stood in front of her class. It was the first day of school. And she knew that many of these children had probably been put down in their life that people had called them names or told them what they couldn't do or told them they weren't smart or whatever. And she thought, I want to begin this year by letting them know that they have value and they're important. And so she stood in front of her class and she said, everyone who thinks you are stupid, please stand up. Think of that question. Everyone who thinks you're stupid, please stand up. She thought, I bet some of these little kids have been called stupid. I bet they've heard mean names. Everybody who thinks you're stupid, please stand up. Nobody moved. And after a few seconds in the back of the class, a little guy stands up, little Johnny in the back, and the teacher looks at him and says, little Johnny, do you think you're stupid? And Johnny replies and says, no, ma'am, but I hate to see you standing there all by yourself. <laughs> Some of us, we feel like we just don't have the firepower. Listen to these words. Peter and John, you are unschooled, and ordinary men. I don't think Luke meant for that to be a put down when he said it, but it's certainly not a pick me up, is it? I mean, it's not a compliment. Ordinary, what's that mean? Look, you're not from a special family. You're nobody unique. You're just, just one of the common folk. Peter and John, you're unschooled, ordinary people. And know this. Your ability to be used by God is not determined by the criteria of others or self. Somebody may think you're unschooled and ordinary, and I'll just tell you this. How God can use you is not determined by what anybody else thinks or even determined by what you think. It's determined by what he thinks. I told you last week about um, 
about the, the first ministry position that we were in when we were in Milwaukee. And I remember when, when Dr. David Arnett invited us to come and be on his team, to step in a children's pastor role. Just graduated from Bible college. And, and so I had the educational requirements. Like, I'd, I'd been through the schooling. But then you go through a process to get credentials in the Assemblies of God, which is the fellowship of churches we're a part of. And you have to take a test. You have to go through an, an interview process, you know, to do all of this. And I hadn't done that yet. And so Pastor Arnett said, hey, I want you to come and be a pastor on our team, and I said, man, I'd love to, I'd be honored, but I'm not a pastor, right? I haven't gone through the process yet, so I'm, I may have done the first part of this, but I'm not there yet, and I don't, I don't have the certification, I don't have the credentials, I'm not licensed to say I'm a pastor. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, look, that licensing is just a way for man to recognize what God has already made known. You're not a pastor because they say you're a pastor, you're a pastor because God says you're a pastor. You're not able to do what God wants you to do in your life because somebody else says you are. You are because he said he is. You are. You know what I mean. That's so good I got messed up. And what I had to learn was that piece of paper that I thought was so important and now is in my basement was not what determined who I was. Who God said I was was what determined who I was. And many times we talk ourselves out of being used by God. We hit this a couple of weeks ago. But the truth is God uses unschooled, ordinary people to do extraordinary things for him. And remember what we said? God is more interested in availability than great ability. He's more interested in you being available to him than you being able to offer him something just because you think you're great. Now, don't miss this. Some people, though, will use that line of reasoning to, to say, well, then education is not important, or preparation is not important, or I don't have to work hard, I just need to be available. And the truth is, if God has called you, then you need to prepare for what he's called you to do, right? I love our Calvary Ministry School because it gives people the opportunity, whether you think you want to be involved in ministry in some way or you just want to know him better, it gives you the opportunity to grow in your faith, in your knowledge, and be used by God. Look, when you say, look, I'm, I may be unschooled and ordinary and I'm just going to stay that way, that's what they call ignorance, not availability. And there's a difference, isn't there? Look, I know we, we talked about the eclipse last week, but when I saw this story, it was too good not to share there are health professionals in California who are reporting that there have been people who have come in to, to eye doctor offices and they have to send them to urgent care or emergency rooms because they come in complaining about issues after the eclipse. Here's what they found. That, that they said, I, I went and watched the eclipse, but I didn't have the NASA-approved glasses, so I just put sunscreen on my eyeballs. I'm not kidding. So now they not only got the eclipse stuff going on, but they've got like like Hawaiian Tropic in their <laughs> windows there. It's just this, that's, that's not like creativity. That's ignorance. Look, if God's called you to do something, prepare for it. Get yourself ready, but don't talk yourself out of it because you think you're just ordinary. God is more interested in availability than great ability. And one other thought before we move on from here, because I think this is really important, and will really come into play where we go next week in, in Acts chapter 4. Um, sometimes we look at things and we go, well, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can move forward in this because we're afraid of what other people might think or how other people might respond. Here's why Peter and John could move forward with great courage. They knew this. We answer to a higher authority. We don't answer to human authority. We respect human authority. We'll look at this next week. But understand this. 
when you are afraid of standing before man, remember that someday you're going to have to stand before God. And a God who chooses to use ordinary people. Which takes us to the second part of this, this story that I think is really important for us to, to stop on for a minute. Number two is courage. He talks here, number two, about courage. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled and ordinary men. It was their courage that stood out. I think, I think part of when I was, when I was thinking and, and praying about this message last night and how I kind of felt the spirit lead was I just realized, and, and I had conversations Thursday and Friday that really pointed this out to me. I know a lot of people who need courage right now. I've got friends who are in situations where the thing that they need to take the next step in their, in their family, in their business, in their relationships, in their faith, in fulfilling God's call for their life, in their health, in their finances, whatever it is, you know what they need? They need courage to do that. And one of the things that was unique about Peter and John is that they had courage. One of the things that's unique about some of the people that I've talked to, whether by text or phone, who are in the midst of this hurricane, is they know this storm is coming, but they've decided in the midst of the storm to have courage. Know this, courage may not change your situation, but it changes you in the situation, right? You, you may still face the storm. You may still face the difficulty, but courage allows you to face it without the fear, without the discouragement, and to go through this knowing that you can trust in him. And some of you need to hear that word courage today. Joshua needed to hear it. Do you remember Joshua in the Old Testament? He was Moses' right-hand man. Moses dies, and Joshua is tasked with taking the children of Israel into the promised land. And he knew it would require a battle. For whatever reason, God didn't just, you know, give Joshua the keys to the promised land and say, here, enjoy your fixer-upper. Instead, he said, look, there's a battle that's ahead for you. I'm giving you this, but you're going to have to fight to get there. Sometimes that's the way life goes. And here's what he said to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I love that passage of scripture. I've come back to that one over and over again in my life. Because there's times when I don't know how to pray for myself. And there's times when I don't know how to pray for you. There's times when I don't know how to pray for other people. And in those moments, I often pray, God, would you help them to be strong and courageous? Sometimes the only word that we need to take that step of faith, the thing that we need to move into the next place in life, the thing to get through the storm that we may be going through is we need courage from God. Here's why, and it's right there in this passage. Courage is the antidote for fear. Courage is the antidote to fear. Here's why. He says, look, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Because when fear comes in, the thing that pushes fear out, and you know that, that fear is like a poison, right? It gets in your spirit, and it's toxic. And it spreads. And the thing that helps us to push fear out is when we take courage. Courage is the antidote to fear. And we can have that fear replaced by courage because Jesus knows that we need him to be with us. God says that I will be with you wherever you go. So courage becomes the antidote for fear when we take courage because he is always with us. If you've done any air travel, you know that oftentimes in the airport, you'll hear them make these announcements of, hey, make sure you know where your belongings are. Make sure you have your stuff. Don't leave anything behind. Every so often, you'll hear them call back people to security. You ever heard that? 
Mr. Gilligan, you've lost your wallet. So-and-so, you left your purse. We have your child. Whatever it is, right? We left something behind. They recently went through the storage areas in the Dublin airport in Dublin, Ireland, and found all kinds of things that people left behind. Let me read you some of these. They found left behind human ashes, false teeth, a glass eye, all of which, like, makes it hard to order your food and eat it, right? You don't have your eye, you don't have your teeth. Um, crutches, wheelchairs, a life-size mannequin. My personal favorite, somebody had brought with them a headstone, right, for a cemetery? They brought with them a headstone and left it behind. On the headstone, it read the person's name, date of birth, date of death, and underneath it said, you will never be forgotten. Isn't that hilarious? God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. Courage is the antidote for fear, and courage is the substitute for discouragement. This is important for you to see, because in those times when you're discouraged, you ever been discouraged? You ever felt like, man, I'm frustrated. This didn't go the way I thought it would. I thought it would be easier, more fun, better. I, I thought you have these things, and discouragement comes in. Whatever it is where you're at, what you do is courage is the substitute for discouragement. That you, When you remember God is with you, and the discouragement will come, and the fear will come, they're real things, aren't they? That's the thing about fear. It goes, and then it likes to come back again. That's the thing about discouragement. I can push it away, and then sometimes I welcome it back. And in those times, I have to remember that those are the times when I need to take courage because God is with me. He doesn't leave me. He doesn't forsake me. He is with me wherever I go. And courage is the antidote for fear. It is the substitute for discouragement. And this is important for this reason, because courage is contagious. And, and when I have courage, you pick it up. And when you have courage, I pick it up. Courage is contagious. Let's just be honest for a moment, because we're all friends here today, right? I'm not feeling so good right now. <laughs> How many of you have ever done something dumb because of the courage of someone you were with? Think about that for a moment. How many of you have ever done something dumb because of the courage of someone you were with? When I grew up kind of out in the country a little bit, and my cousin lived right next door, so we had a couple of acres between us, and my uncle, there was a barn, and he had a couple of horses that they kept for a while, and so they ran this electric fence around part of the property for where the horses were. So we had, we had this big yard, and we had the field where the, the horses were, and then we had woods in the back, so my cousin and I, we'd go out and play. I don't know how we were, but we were like playing, I don't know, we were playing like cops and robbers or war or space or whatever, we were playing something, but we had a couple of toy guns. So we're out there, we're kind of running around, and we got to the electric fence. And my cousin said, I wonder what would happen if we touched the fence with our guns. <laughs> so he takes his gun. He had more courage than I did. I was like, I don't know, you go first, right? So he takes his gun, and he puts it right on the fence. Nothing happens with his plastic gun. <laughs> I had a gun that we'd gotten on vacation. I don't know where it was, like Colonial Williamsburg or something like that. But it was like a, a, a mock-up of something from the Revolutionary War that had this wooden stock and a metal barrel. Plastic gun cousin, genius Chad. I take, that, I take that gun, put the metal barrel on the electric fence, got my finger on the metal trigger. I felt a higher power in that moment. <laughs> right? Why? Because I did something dumb 
because of the courage of somebody else. But godly courage spurs people on to be godly as well, doesn't it? Don't you think that our nation and our world needs an epidemic of godly courage? And your courage will be contagious. That when you're willing to step out in faith, when you're willing to do something that God's called you to do, when you're willing to recognize, and I'm not saying you won't have fear. I'm not saying you won't have discouragement. But in the midst of that, you find courage in God. I, 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 I've come to realize in the last few weeks, there's a lot of people who watch what, what happens here on Sunday morning online. We've got hundreds of people that are a part of our, our Calvary church, but they're not maybe here on a Sunday morning. Several of them are people who serve in our armed forces that are literally in places all over the world, literally in places all over the world. And I've been thinking about them. And I just want to say, and whether you realize it or not, that this church prays for you, this church believes in you, and this church thanks you for your courage. Because your courage, yeah, absolutely. You are in places we will never go doing things that we will never know to protect us. And we thank you for your courage. We pray that God will help you to be strong and courageous. Because courage makes a difference. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were ordinary and unschooled men, they took note and they, and they realized, watch this, this line's awesome, that they had been with Jesus. Wouldn't that be a great thing for people to say about you? <laughs> that they'd look at you and they'd say, yeah, you, you know what I noticed about her? You know what I picked up about him? It's like they've been with Jesus. Third thing that I want you to see in this passage, it'll make all the difference, number three. It's have you been with Jesus? Because with Jesus, everything changes. And, and I got thinking about the experiences that Peter and John had had together. Before they had to stand, before the Sanhedrin, before they had to stand before the religious authorities, what, what experiences had they had when they had been with Jesus? Think about it. If you read uh, uh, John chapter 20, it's, it's kind of a fun story, and we don't have the time to get there today. But, but Peter and John ran to the tomb. They were the first men to get there and see that, that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's kind of cool details the way they tell the story. They, they had been with Jesus. They'd seen the resurrection. They were with him then for the, the days after the resurrection. They were there when Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They had been with Jesus. It shaped them. But for three years before all of that, almost 24-7, they had been following him as his disciples. And story after story in the New Testament, you see the effect that being with Jesus had on them. The one that came to my mind, maybe because I watched far too much news and weather information yesterday, <laughs> was a storm they went through. Think about this. Um, Mark chapter 6, verse 47. And a friend of mine said this to me, which was, which was funny. Leah, you know Leah Loran, who's on our staff. She said, what if you took a map and circled everywhere in our country where something crazy is going on? If you circled the wildfires out west, and you know there's been some earthquakes kind of in the, in the Rockies area in the, the last couple weeks, and you got a hurricane in Texas, you got a hurricane in Florida, and everything that's going on. She says, I think if you just circled every part in our country where, where stuff's going on, people would realize the best place to live in America is Toledo. You will do better in Toledo. Can I get an amen? Right? Okay, so, so, so Mark chapter 6, verse 47. Disciples go out in a boat. 
Jesus stays back to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. We've talked before about how storms with the wind come up on the Sea of Galilee. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, watch these words, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Some of you today, the whole reason you're here, the whole reason you're watching this, is so that you would hear that quote from Jesus. Take courage, he says. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed in the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. Now look, I'm not saying that your storm is going to end. But I am saying this, and this is key. The presence of Jesus brings peace to the storm. When you're in the midst of a storm, the presence of Jesus changes things. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what what kind of storm are we in right now? I've I've had multiple people ask me over the course of the last few days, have you read the headlines? Have you seen what's been going on the last few weeks? There's, there's been some crazy stuff. There's been some biblical stuff in the news. Anybody notice this? Listen to this. Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. Jesus is talking about the end times. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Anybody heard that? But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Anybody? Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Anybody? All these are the beginning of birth pains. Interesting phrase there. The beginning of birth pains? In fact, um, Paul uses in Romans chapter 1 the language. He says that all of creation groans like in childbirth, like waiting for the new thing that God's going to do. This idea that this earth, you know, someday will be replaced by a new heaven and a new earth. You know this, right? And that someday Jesus is going to come back and things are going to change. And so people ask the question, you know, what is going on? We've got situations with North Korea. We've got the eclipse. You remember the eclipse? We've got wildfires. We've got earthquakes. We've got hurricanes. Chad, is the end near? Is this it? Is this the end of the world? The answer that I usually have to come to is, is I think we're best with the words of Jesus. Matthew 24, verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And you say, hey, look, no one knows the day or the hour. And sometimes people go, yeah, but you can get pretty close on the month, can't you? That's not the point. (laughs) It's not the point. Jesus says, look, you're not supposed to be obsessed with the when. Look, you're going to see these signs. There was a time when the disciples, Acts chapter 1, where the disciples said to him, hey, hey, when is this going to happen? Watch what he says. They're like, is this the time? Is this when it's all going to happen? Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And there's other people trying to set dates. It's on the internet right now. You see it in places. It comes in waves. You hear these things. Scripture is very clear. It's not for you to set the time and dates. You know what the very next verse is? 
Acts chapter 1, verse 7 says, it's not for you to know the time. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, but you will receive power to be my witness. Your job isn't to sit around with the astronomical charts and biblical prophecy and try to figure out what's going to happen when. Your job is to be a witness to who I am. Understand this. Jesus discourages us from viewing the end times with speculation. People like to speculate about the when and the how and the who, and it's fascinating. But the truth is, he says, look, the the timing is not what's important. Go go back to what he said, Luke chapter 21, verse 25. Same same kind of time when he's talking about the end times. And and Luke, Luke writes this, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. Anybody? On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. That's a little interesting. People will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken at that time they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory when these things begin to take place head to the basement close the door and hide in a corner in the name of the lord when these things begin to take place make sure you're checking facebook for updates on the day and time When these things begin to take place, find a good TV preacher who's going to scare you. When these things begin to take place, you stand up. You lift up your heads because your redemption is drawn nigh. He doesn't say you're supposed to hide or be scared. Is that stuff terrifying? Yeah, it's terrifying. If, If you don't know the truth about who Jesus is, This is the kind of stuff that brings dread to the unbeliever, but it gives expectation to the believer. And Jesus says this, when you see that, don't worry about the when. You focus on the who. And you lift up your eyes because I'm coming back and your redemption is coming near. Listen to this. When when Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, he stands there in Acts chapter 2, right? And they're saying, what is this? What's going on here? Are you people drunk? Do you remember that story? Here's what Peter says. He says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, we live in the last days, right? To which some of you go, Chad, it's been the last days for 2,000 years. Is Jesus ever coming back? I mean, people have been rambling about this forever. Do you remember what scripture says that with the Lord, a 1,000 years is as a, and a day is as? If you think of it that way, Jesus has been gone a couple of days. Settle down. Acts chapter 2, verse 16. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. That's exciting, isn't it? That's hopeful. And then he says, I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Well, that's fun, isn't it? It's terrifying. We don't have time to unpack everything that the prophecy of Joel says, but don't miss this, verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do we live in uncertain times? 100%. Do we have a certain hope? You better believe it. We put our hope in the fact that Jesus is coming and we believe that he's coming soon. And I was having a conversation with a friend Friday night. He says, isn't this stuff crazy? 
everything that's going on. And then he said this to me. He goes, I'm sure glad I've got my ticket. Because you know someday Jesus is going to come back. Talk about the rapture. And he's going to come back and he's going to take his church to be with him. And, and you kind of need to have a ticket. It's not like Willy Wonka's ticket. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And my friend said, I'm sure glad I've got my ticket. Anybody else glad you got your ticket? Then he said this. He said, and that means that I need to help as many people as possible to have their ticket too. When we see this happen, get this. Jesus encourages us to view the end times with expectation and preparation. That we, we don't look with fear, we look with expectation. And we prepare ourselves not just for his coming, but we prepare others with the truth that those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and I, I've become aware more and more all the time, and, and I said this earlier, I know that there's hundreds of people who, who join us in services, whether it be online or whether it be through a television program, and, and our heart as a church is that you will be ready, that, that you'll call on the name of the Lord, that you'll know him as your Lord, that you'll know him as your Savior, and that you'll find him and that you'll know him. If you're here today and you can't say with certainty that you're sure that if Jesus came back today that you would know him, then I'd encourage you, go to our Connection Center at the end of this service. We've got these cards that you can grab. They say, I have decided, and someone will pray with you there. We want to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If, you, if, you're, if you're watching on a screen somewhere, if you go to our website, there's a button right at the top that says Jesus, and you can click that, and there's information there about how you can be a follower of Jesus, and we want to help you in that process because that decision is the most important decision you'll ever make. True? We, we know that Jesus was with the disciples in the midst of their storm. And we know that in the midst of this storm that we're seeing in the world around us, that we have a hope that we hold on to. But what about the storm you're in? Because I know for a fact that for some of you, that's exactly what life feels like right now. Tossed by the waves, blown by the wind, uncertain of what's ahead. You know, the Gospels are interesting because sometimes... Different gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, will tell the same story, but they have a little bit of a different perspective. Oftentimes, Mark gives us the, the cliff notes to different stories. He gives kind of a short version. He's all about action. Matthew was actually there. He was on the boat the night that Jesus came walking on the water. So when he tells the story, he throws in another detail. Watch this. Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me, come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Isn't that an awesome story? That in the midst of the storm, Peter was willing to take a step out in faith. When Jesus said, take courage, he literally did it. Some of you are called today to take some kind of step of faith. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you're facing. But you take that step of faith, and you hold on to him, and you move out in that. And it says that Jesus will supernaturally support you as you trust in him. Isn't that an awesome story? And then, do you remember ordinary unschooled Peter? Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. 
Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why'd you doubt? By the way, I don't think Jesus was angry there. I think he loved him. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Some of you, just so you know, when you, when you see the wind and the waves, it brings fear. And sometimes you're going to feel like you're sinking. Because that courage doesn't come from you alone. The courage comes when you reach out and take the hand of Jesus. Here's what happens, you see. Ordinary people find extraordinary courage when they've been with Jesus. And for some of us, God's calling you today to reach out to him and to be with Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Whether you're in this room, Auditorium 2, maybe you're watching on a screen somewhere. And if in this moment you, you would say, God, I need courage from you. Lord, maybe my questions come because I don't think I'm, I'm good enough. Or maybe my questions come because of what I'm facing. And maybe it's because of the storm that I'm in. But in this moment, in this instant, I need supernatural courage from you to come to me. If that's you, then this is all I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to simply stand right where you are. Right now, if, if that's you, and you say, God, I, I need courage today. I'm an ordinary person who needs extraordinary courage from you. I need to know that I've been with Jesus here today. Just stand right where you are. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Just kind of take a step of faith. Sometimes that, that spiritual reality means we, we've got to have a physical response. If in this moment you know God's speaking to your heart, I just want to pray with you. And you'd say, Lord, today I need courage from you. Just stand right where you are. Father, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the way that you speak to us. God, thanks for the way that you lead us. Lord, thanks for the confidence that we can put in you. Lord, thanks that you don't look for us to be extraordinary. You use us just the way that we are. Father, thank you that even in the midst of things that bring fear and discouragement, we know that you never leave us, that you're always with us. Lord, I pray for the one today who needs courage from you. You know the situation. Lord, and I pray in this moment, would you speak courage from your heart to theirs? Lord, would you help them as they walk through the storm that they're in? And Lord, I pray for all of us that people would see us and they would know that we have been with Jesus. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.